Are you scared of death? That's a bit of a weighty beginning to a sermon, isn't it? No jokes or kind of light-hearted remarks to ease us in gently. Just a really honest and serious question. Are you scared of death? Do you ever have those nights where you're almost afraid to go to sleep, where you can't go to sleep because that big, dark nothingness in the future weighs heavily on your shoulders? Maybe it's not your own death, but maybe the death of somebody else and the sorrow of a death in the family or of a diagnosis that seems like it's going to bring that darkness into your family soon enough. Those are the kind of things that really haunt us. I wonder if you're a Christian today. Are you scared of death? Have you come face to face with it? If you're not, maybe you're just listening in, um, trying church out, kind of dipping your toe in the water of online church before you think about coming along physically. Are you scared of death? Are you somebody who's faced up to it? Psalm 90, one of these ancient songs, which was a song of Moses, has this famous line in it where the singer prays to God and says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to face the fact that we're not going to be here forever. And as we face that fact, we'll gain a heart of wisdom. We'll know about our priorities. We'll know how to spend the rest of our days. Maybe we'll take seriously the fact that we do live beyond the grave. We'll go and investigate God and who God is and whether he offers us any hope. You see, numbering our days facing death, asking that question, am I scared of it? Am I prepared for it? That's a good thing to do. Not something that we're commonly um, doing in our culture. We have such good medicine nowadays that death for most of us seems very far away. Even a really serious diagnosis often can be met with hope of treatment. Medicine helps us push death to the margins or living for pleasures and for good things, for the enjoyments, for the stuff that we have in our lives can often make us not think so much about death and need and struggle and sacrifice and suffering. Often our lives are so full of pleasures and good things. Our world, our entertainment, our conversation doesn't really seem to focus on what's outside or beyond this life. And so we get so used to thinking about this life almost as if it's something immortal, as something that'll never end. We don't think and talk about death an awful lot, even as Christians. Well, we're going to try and put that right today, because today we get to the story in Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7 of a man who seems to not have been afraid of death, a man who looked at it in the face and was extremely brave was extremely at peace, really seemed to have hope and light. So we're going to read his story, unpack it a little bit, and then see if we can learn some lessons about how we as Christians can die well. How you as a person, maybe you're not a Christian yet, but how you could, if you come to know Jesus, come to know the hope that he offers, might be able to face your death with real courage, with even with joy and with singing. Okay, let's go to Acts chapter 6. Let me read to you the story of a man called Stephen. We met him last week, if you were around then. He was a man who was set apart, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, set apart to do the job of looking after widows in the church. Now, Stephen, so we're reading from Acts chapter 6, beginning from verse 8. Now, this Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene, and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they couldn't stand up against the wisdom that the Spirit 
gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. We've met these people before in previous stories. They're the ruling council of the Israelites at the time, the same people who put Jesus on trial, the same people who condemned him to death. Now they've got Stephen, Stephen in their clutches. They produce false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place, the temple, and against the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel shining with God's glory. And Stephen pipes up and says, sorry, no, the high priest asks Stephen, are you, are these charges true? And he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I'll show you. And then Stephen carries on. Most of chapter seven is a big long sermon where Stephen walks through the history of Israel pointing out particular themes about how how their forefathers rejected the people that God sent to rescue them. Moses, Joseph, and even the temple itself has been misunderstood by these people. They've used it as something to kind of use God as someone who would do what they want and often abused the people God has sent them to put them right. And Stephen eventually shows them that this is what they've been doing with Jesus, that they're the ones who've been misusing God's temple. They're the ones who've been turning against Moses and what he taught them to look for a saviour like Jesus. They're the ones who, if you look all the way down through chapter 7 to verse 51, this is the conclusion of Stephen's speech. He says to them really boldly, listen to this, you stiff-necked people, as in you stubborn people, your hearts and your ears still uncircumcised, as if you don't follow God, you're following other things in your hearts. Your ears won't listen to his words, that's what he means there. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors didn't persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, Jesus. And now you've betrayed and murdered him. You who received the law that was given through angels but haven't obeyed it. He speaks truth to power really boldly to the people who executed Jesus. And what do they do? Well, this dam of violence, of opposition, of brutality against the Christians, against Jesus' followers, has been held back up to now. They've had Peter and John, different other ones of the apostles of the leaders of the churches, in front of them, telling them to, to just shut up about Jesus. And now they have Stephen, and Stephen is about to break the dam of their opposition to Jesus, their opposition to his people. Well, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. Almost like animals, baring their teeth, so angry they can't hold it back any longer. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, standing at the right hand of God, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. It's a lynch mob. Drag him out of the city and they murder him. 
Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. They strip off, ready for work. It's sweaty, hard work stoning somebody to death. To stone the life out of a person, you need some pretty big stones. You need a, a fairly long time and a big crowd of people stripped and sweating, ready for work. So they take their coats off. They lay them at the feet of a man called Saul, who we'll meet more of in the week to come. Well, the, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he would said this, he fell asleep. Chapter 8, verse 2. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. It's a story of real brutality, isn't it? A story of real injustice, of monstrousness of death that comes upon this young man, Stephen. It's a young man who's faithful to God, who speaks truth to brutal powers of his day, who's faithful to the end and who falls asleep. That's Luke's way of saying that he died. It's actually the early Christians seems to be their favourite way of talking about how Christians die. Even brutal deaths like this are described in this very gentle, almost unexpectedly beautiful, peaceful way of describing death as sleep. I wonder if you noticed as we read through that story any parallels with Jesus' death. This is the same council that, like I said earlier, condemned Jesus to death. To death. The same people who sent him to the cross. The same people who dragged him outside the city. The same people who handed him over to the Romans and the Romans took his clothes and divided them among them. They took him and they didn't stone him to death but they nailed nails through his arms and through his feet and hung him there. And what did he say as he was being crucified, as he was being lynched by an angry mob? Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Stephen echoes that, doesn't he? Jesus, Jesus, he says to him, take my spirit. Um, what does he say particularly? Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Jesus as well says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing about the people around him. And Stephen says, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. There's lots and lots of parallels here, aren't there? Of Stephen, who's a follower of Jesus, following his master into death as a witness to him, as a martyr. That's the Greek word martis means witness. That Stephen is the first Christian, the first faithful follower of Jesus, whose, record, whose death is recorded in the book of Acts. And his death is a witness, it's a beacon, it's a shining light that throws light onto Jesus, that points people back to him. And also that points us forward to our own deaths and how we as Christians can die well. There's echoes of Christ's death in Stephen's death. His death is really full of Jesus. I wonder if you spotted that as we went through. Not only does his death um, echo Jesus' death, but he speaks three times. And every time he speaks, in this moment of violence, in this moment of tragedy, in this moment of disaster, as he's having the life ripped from his body, Stephen speaks and he speaks of Christ. This brutal death is made into something beautiful, something even hopeful, as Christ is brought into it. 
So here are three lessons, okay, three lessons we can learn from Stephen's death as we face our own deaths. Three lessons that can, like that psalmist said back in Psalm 90, that can teach us wisdom as we number our days. Well, the first thing we see is that Stephen sees Jesus. He looks up to the presence of Jesus. What do we see? Um, Verse 55, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man, Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. That's a remarkable thing. I don't think every single Christian, when they die, sees that kind of thing literally, but we enjoy that kind of thing truly that Jesus stands up and welcomes us home, that there really is life after death. The first lesson is this, look up and see Jesus. As you're thinking about your death, as it's keeping you up at night, as you're facing the death of a loved one, look up to the Jesus who is really there, to Christ who is in the presence of God, who stands up and welcomes us home. I think that's what's going on here. There's other scriptures that say, when Jesus died and then rose again, and ascended into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, sat down at the right hand of God because his work was done. The end of a good long day's work, you go home and you sit down and relax and you rest, it's finished, it's done. Well, Jesus on the cross said just that, it's finished. And then he went back to heaven and sat down, ruling with his father forever, as he's done from the beginning, but now is the savior the saviour who defeated death, the the saviour who had forgiven sins, the saviour who'd broken through death out the other side to promise life forever. His work was done. Death was dead. Christ had conquered. He's now our champion who's gone through death out the other side into heaven and sat down. And then here he is standing up again. Maybe that's a, a detail that we would pass over quickly, but it's really amazing. It's repeated a couple of times in just this little short story. Jesus, who sat down finishing his work, stands up again, looks at Stephen and says, if you like, welcome home. Well done, good and faithful servant. Stephen, you've done a good job. You've been faithful to me. You've walked that narrow way. You've entered through that narrow door and faced this darkness of death, trusting in me. I wonder if you are doing that today. I wonder if you have looked up and look to Jesus. If as you're facing death, you're not just looking down at the grave, not just scared, but looking up in hope to Jesus who's living again, to Jesus who looks at you and knows your name, to Jesus who says, come with me, my child, my little sheep, who's picked you up on his shoulders and carried you through, promises to carry you safely through the valley of the shadow of death. So we should look up to Jesus's presence. Look up to the reality of Jesus. What's the second thing? Well, Stephen says, as he's dying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So if we look up to Jesus, the one who's gone through death before us, well, we should trust our lives into his hands. We should let him pick us up like little lambs and carry us on his shoulders through the shadow of death. We trust our lives into his hands. We trust our loved ones into his hands. We trust our souls into his hands, knowing that he's going to give us that life back again. You see that picture of sleep that Luke uses to describe Stephen's death is the picture that 
Lots of Christians in the New Testament used to describe any Christian's death. And what do you do when you fall asleep? You wake up again, right? Your body, this is talking about your body, your soul will be alive, awake, always with Jesus, safe with him, welcomed home. But your body too will one day be raised up again, woken up from the sleep and the dust of death, wherever you have been laid. Your body will be woken up again and brought back together with your soul to live with Jesus with Jesus forever. That's the kind of hope that Christians have. I hope you've heard me talk about that before. I hope you've heard us talk about that around Easter time at the resurrection. And every day it's the hope of Christianity, the hope of seeing Jesus with our own eyes, face to face. Job 19, you can read about how that was Job's hope to walk again, to live again, and to see his saviour face to face. It's the hope at the end of the Bible in Revelation that Jesus will come and wipe every, literally physically wipe every tear from our eyes, that we'll feast and rejoice and dance and sing and walk and love again physically, materially in his presence. That's the Christian hope, that as we trust our souls into his hands in death, as our bodies fall asleep, we're trusting ourselves into the ones who has the, into the hands of the one who has the power to wake us up again. The Christian hope is, is personal. You will be you, not part of the all soul, not kind of a drop into the ocean where you'll be faceless and nameless and just part of the circle of life. No, you'll be you. You'll have a material hope, a personal hope, a material hope, a physical hope that one day you'll have a body again. It's a beatific hope. That's a kind of big theological word for it, for it being about seeing Jesus, about face to face with your maker again being made alive in his presence, seeing what no mortal eye has seen. But you will be clothed with immortality. You'll get to see the face of God. Isn't that an amazing hope? Personal, it'll be you. Material, in a body, beatific with Jesus. And completely certain too. Just as he's risen from the dead, so you'll rise again as well. Well, what's the third thing that Stephen says? Stephen says, Forgive them. Lord, don't hold this sin against them. That's just what Jesus said. That's what his cross was all about. It was about forgiving sinners. And forgiven sinners, forgive others. If you want to face death as a Christian, if you want to die well, well, you need to look up to Christ who's really there and enjoy his presence. You need to trust your soul and your body to him that he'll take you through that dark valley. And you need to be forgiven and offer that forgiveness to others. Isn't that one of the things that really troubles us in death, the loneliness of it? That feeling that I haven't, I haven't done what's right with my life. I haven't made the most of my time. I haven't done what I should. And so we feel guilty and we feel almost naked. We feel ashamed and we feel like we're running out of time. And as we face death, it feels so lonely that all you've got is this record of some good things, but mostly just failure, mostly wasted time, mostly just, I wish I'd done better. And you face death alone, crossing over that threshold, wondering, hoping that it'll be enough. Well, Stephen doesn't cross that threshold alone. You see, forgiveness is the message that Jesus comes with us through death, that he takes all of our record of failure at the cross and he dies with it, that it's gone. That he's the one who dies the death of loneliness forsaken by God, far away from his father. He died that death for you, taking away your guilt, taking away your failure, 
so that you, when you face death, you don't face it alone. You face it with his arm around your shoulder, with actually you lifted up onto his shoulders, wrapped in his goodness, so that you face death with Jesus, standing up not only to welcome you home, but standing up as your advocate, as the one who brings you before his father and says, welcome this little one, because they belong to me. They've been covered by my goodness. They've been washed clean by my blood. Welcome them home as one of your own. You see, forgiven people like you and me, if you're standing with Jesus, if you've brought to him all your failures and had him wash you, forgiven people like you and me, they forgive others. That's how Stephen can look at these people who are given over to animalistic rage, gnashing their teeth at him, tearing his soul from his body as they stone him brutally to death. Stephen can look at these people who are barely people in the way they're acting. Stephen can look at these people who hate him and he can love them, forgive them, let go of any bitterness against them. And he can die in peace. He can fall asleep, even as his soul is brutally torn from his body. I wonder if you can face death with that kind of peace. Peace about your own failures, because you've brought them all to Jesus and he's forgiven you. Washed them all the way in his death and clothed you with his goodness in his life. You can know your life, <laughs> failed as it is, not used properly as, as I know that. I haven't used my life as I should have, but we can take all of our failures, have them washed away and go through death, not alone but with Jesus. And also, we can be free not just of our own failures, but of all our bitterness against others. That's a good and peaceful way to die, putting it all at his feet and saying, Lord, you've forgiven me. Would you forgive them too? Offering others grace, even in the moment of death. How would you sum all this up? Well, 1 Thessalonians, this letter written in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, has these beautiful words. How do we face death? Well, look, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. That's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13, because Christ is raised from the dead, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. How do we face death? Well, we should face it with extremes of emotion, two extremes of emotion. We'll finish here. One, with deep and profound sorrow. Death is something which is really not good. It's not natural. It shouldn't be here. To separate soul and body is something really tragically monstrous. It's horrendous. It, it should hurt because it's awful. So we shouldn't have a stiff upper, stiff upper lip about it. We shouldn't just say, oh, it's not that bad. Come on, pull yourself together. No, we should grieve. Jesus grieved and wept and raged against the dying of the light the tomb of his friend Lazarus. We should grieve deeply like these men do when they come and bury their friend Stephen. Death is an enemy. Death is horrendous. We should weep with those who weep. We have a lot of crying to do as Christians. We shouldn't be just trying to pull ourselves together. We shouldn't just be celebrating life at funerals. We should be grieving deeply, raging at death. That's one extreme of emotion, but the other is joy. Paul says here, now Christ is risen. So we should grieve, but not as those who have no hope. Grieve deeply, but sing joyfully too. And that's true, isn't it? That's right. Because death is not the end. There's real hope beyond it. 
You feel like you've wasted this life, like you've made a real mess. Well, there's a life that goes beyond this one. A life everlasting, immortal, where you'll get a body again. You'll get to see those things you missed out on. You'll get to embrace those people that you love and that you miss. You'll see them again. You'll see him again. Every tear wiped away. And you'll need no souvenirs on that day. You'll miss out on nothing. You'll need, not need to clutch onto any kind of memories because it'll be gone in a moment. You'll be able to enjoy him, enjoy a new body, enjoy real life as it should be, enjoy love forever in the resurrection. That's a joyful thing, isn't it? He'll take us safely through just the shadow of death now. Don't be afraid and take you on to a new country. Paul says famously, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I'm torn between the two. It's a win-win. If I stay here, then I get to tell people about the wonderful hope. I get to rejoice in the good news of the resurrection. I get to face life with great courage because I don't have to be afraid of death anymore. What can they do to me? They can kill the body like they did to Stephen, but really all they did was whisk him into Jesus's presence quicker. All they did was shortcut his route to having a new body and a new life that they could never kill, never do anything against. You see, to live is Christ hope and joy in him. But to die, that would be gain, Paul says. We'd be brought into his presence to be changed like he is. It's really, really good news. So I'm going to finish. I'm finished with a quote from another ancient poem. This is Isaiah 43. Now this is what the Lord says, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've summoned you by name. You're mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. Do you have that kind of hope today? Facing death, the death of a loved one, with deep grief, not just stoic, it'll be okay, but I mean with deep grief and yet with hope, hope that can make you sing even in that moment of, of grief. Do you have that kind of solid hope? that kind of profound joy, that kind of deep rage and sadness at death, but real hope in Jesus. Are you afraid of death? I hope not. There's really nothing to fear if you're hidden in Jesus. So come to him, ask him to take that fear away. Ask him to comfort your griefs. Ask him to walk with you in sorrow and help you to face that shadow, that dark shadow of death with joy and to live for him until that moment comes. Come on, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much that we don't have to fear death, that because of your son who faced that death for us, Lord, we can be forgiven. We can know hope for the future. We can look to you now, trust our souls into your hands, trust our loved ones into your hands and know that there's hope. Lord, we pray that you would help us to come to you. It's only in you that there is hope. Lord, outside of you, there really is fear and only darkness only sadness, only trite sentiments that aren't really solid at all. Lord, you're the only hope that we have. So help us to come to you. Help us to throw ourselves onto you. Help us to trust ourselves to the good shepherd. And Lord, as we do that, would you pick us up? Would you carry us? Would you help us to face our own deaths with great courage, to serve you with great sacrifice until that moment? And Lord, as we mourn the deaths of those we love, we ask that you'd comfort us, that you draw near to us, that you give us hope that we'll see them again. And that until then, you'll keep us safe. Amen.